We are guilty before God. How guilty is the subject of our time today as we take a look at our need for divine righteousness. Next on Truth For Today. The ministry of Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Greetings and welcome to our program. We are continuing with our series called Man's Need of Divine Righteousness, a study in the book of Romans. And today, Pastor Phil Howard reminds us of just how guilty we are before God. In fact, God has laid before us 14 counts of guilty. And those counts are what we're focusing on today, bringing back to mind the desperate need for God's grace through Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. is that people never choose God. Natural inability, moral inability. Uh, And what does that mean? It means this. If you gave me a lion that is starving to death, it hasn't been fed for a week, and you bring it to me in a cage, what I can do is throw a bale of hay in there and that's all it needs. Would not a bale of hay be able to feed a lion? Somebody said no. Why would that be? It's not what they want. But it's starving. The lion's starving. Wouldn't a nice vegetarian sandwich look good? <laughs> Little mayo? No, that lion will die in that room with a plate full of straw. If you just got the cow in there, he could go on for another month. Because you see, that lion's nature is carnivorous. It lives off of meat, blood, and guts. Watch National Geographic. You know, when you're bored with the way things are going, just watch a lion eat a zebra. It just does something for you. And my wife said, you watch it, another one of those killings? Yeah, it just brings back roots. I just want to always be a big game hunter, you know. I just got a guy showing me pictures of all, he killed a rhino and lions on a trip. I said, how much it cost? He said, $100,000. But at least he got a lion. But you know what? You could put all the vegetation you want from that lion. He's just going to growl and he'll die of malnutrition. Because it's not in his nature to eat grass. And you see, the pitiful thing, and what the Word of God keeps saying is, God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the guy says, God doesn't taste good to me. Come to the river of life that you may drink and have your thirst. Hey, are you serving tequila? I said, the river of life. I don't want that. What's that? Does anything to do with God? Yeah, I don't need it. But man, your life's a wreck. I don't need it. I'll solve it my way. Come and feed on this bread from heaven and the hunger in your heart. Christ says, I want to give you relief. I want to give you peace. C- come. I don't want him. Do you get it? And don't stuff it down my throat. I'd rather go to hell if he's my only option. You don't know anyone like that. Or you know a whole lot of people like that. It's not in their nature to want to choose God. 
Well, how is it anyone comes? I knew you'd ask me that. Turn to John 6.37. Are you ready? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's wonderful. So I know that if I ever come to Jesus, the Father will have to be involved, right? What about verse 44? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. What's the difference between the word can and may? Teacher, can I get a drink? She could say, I don't know, can you? Can you walk? The word can is a word of ability. Can you walk? Can you get to it? What you're really asking is, may I get a drink? You want permission. And what he's saying in John 6, it's a word of ability. You don't have the ability to come to God because you've got a nature that makes you satisfied on sin until the Father draws you. And when he draws you, he makes Jesus look like the only and the most wonderful thing that could ever give you peace. So every one of you saved saints ought to forever, 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 forever quit telling God he can't choose you and start thanking him that he did. That's the only reason you came. You didn't come because you're great. You came because he drew you, and that's why you're in that family. But now let's talk about your sin. Don't get too proud. Let's talk about your sin. Your sin and my sin is universal. No one, no one ever came to God who was not a sinner. And so he starts saying, your sin, 14 counts. Sin, he says, four times no one is righteous. Two times all have gone astray. Twice there's not even one righteous. And that bothers people. I had someone come to me last Sunday. He says, I don't think I'm as bad as you're preaching. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm a good person. And I believe, they honestly believe that. And I told them to come back today so we could talk. And I hope you're here. You see me after the service. No one is righteous. How can that be? No one. And when you say that to people, they soon, as you say that, say, are you saying I'm this kind of a person? I'm, I'm bad way down here. I do all these vile things. Let me compare it this way. What he is saying is you're not as bad as you could be. There are other people worse. But in his sight, there's no one who passes the standard of being right in his sight so as to earn heaven. And I'll give you an example. If you know anything about sports, uh, I'll take baseball. You get guys that are good in sports, and, hey, they make it through college. They're playing on teams. And then I hear a guy say, hey, man, I've made a B League, the California League, West Coast. Great. See him a little bit later. Hey, I'm in, I'm in A, playing A ball. Fantastic. If they go in, you may hear them say, I made the minors. Woo, you're moving on now. You're doing great. Sometimes you can see one of those guys that says, hey, whatever happened to your baseball career? I just wasn't good enough to make it in the majors. Why? Well, I pitched 70 miles an hour. 
Well, that, man, that's good. You strike me out with that. You ought to be up to 90 in the majors. It gets tougher. The standards are tougher. You've got to perform better. And you see, when you say you're righteous, you're playing B-league ball. You're down here. You haven't even moved up to where God is. And by the time you get to God's league, there's only one in the league, him. Nobody bats like him. Nobody runs like him. Matter of fact, he can't get any competition. He's already been sworn the winner. No, no takers. Nobody knows. And that's what he's saying. There's none of you good enough to even get in my league. None's righteous. No, not one. Well, when I sin, who do I sin against? God says two things you sin against, two persons. You sin against God and you sin against people. The second thing is, sin is always against God. Whether you lie, cheat, steal, immoral, whatever category. He says, sin is before me. I think it's an amazing thing that one day, the king, as he was uh, taking it easy, uh, a knock came to the king's uh, room, and they said, hey, the preacher's calling on you today. The preacher, uh, what's, what's Nathan doing out around here? Yeah, he wants to see you. He said, uh, wants to tell you a little story. Oh, okay. Hello, Nathan. I'm surprised to see you. This is usually arranged a bit, a little bit longer, but I know you're God's prophet for the nation. What brings you? Well, David, I want to tell you a story. Yeah, what is it? Well, there's a man that just had a sheep, and his neighbor had a lot of sheep, and the neighbor of a lot of sheep had a guest come by, and uh, he sent his servants over to kill his neighbor's one sheep. And if it was one sheep family, that meant it was the family pet. So we killed it, and they had lamb chops for dinner that night. And uh, David said, well, what's been done to this man? He said, nothing. That's why I brought it to you, king. He said, see to it, he gets killed. Well, David, I wanted to fill you in. You're the man that killed the sheep. You had 14 wives in your harem, and Uriah had one wife. You didn't just commit adultery. You took a man who had one wife and one of your most loyal soldiers. You sinned, and God's caught you, boy. You've been quiet about it for a year, but God's got your number. You're messing with God, David. Who do you think you are pulling this off? And David said, I want to write a song for all of Israel to sing at the temple. Before thee and thee only, O Lord, have I sinned. I'm dirty on the inside. I'm dirty on the outside. Wash me. Find some hyssop up there that could scrub this terrible, sinful bent. Here I am. I serve the God that delivered me from the lion, the bear, from Goliath, and I can get on my rooftop, and in a moment, I can go against his commands to steal another man's wife. In a moment, I can work out a murder plot. What came over me? Sin is in my inward parts. Renew me, O God, for before thee and thee only have I sinned. Your secret sin is open scandal in heaven. What you do in the closet, Jesus says, will be spread around in the heavenly cassette. This is what they're doing on the earth. There are no closets for the believer where you can pull off a closet sin, for everything is open before this God. Joseph, a handsome young Jewish boy, got with a red-hot Egyptian woman, 
obviously not having a sex life or something's going on because she and her husband, she's burning for Joseph. And Joseph is just a household slave. He shouldn't have been there anyway. He couldn't help it. Sold by his brothers. And this woman daily makes her plot to get him. Daily. One day she even gets his garment. She thinks she's got him in the bed. She said, surely he'll not resist my advances. And all of a sudden that young Jewish boy said, I want to tell you something, woman. How can I do this thing against God? God's in this bedroom. God is down here in Egypt. And God is in my life to do this one act with you. I've got a sin against God. Sin may not shock the culture, doesn't bother the rappers, doesn't bother MTV, and it doesn't bother a dirty adult population from every age group. We're permeated with it. But God says in my court, I will bring it up. Have you been able to convince yourself that I haven't been there with your lying, your motives, all the dirtiness that comprises our human condition? Then he thoroughly says sin is against people. It's people we murder. It's people that we slander. And he begins to talk about not just against people. He says our sin is pervasive, and he uses it by talking about our feet, our eyes, our mouths, our tongues. And he's using all these bodily parts to say there seems to be no part of us untouched by this bent to sin. We'll talk about people, and we've got poison on our lips. Our, our mouth is like walking by a Palestinian grave and you see the maggots decomposing a body because they didn't put a stone over it. So it both stinks and is wretched to think you're seeing the body worms eat. Said so some people, their mouths are like that before God. Your mouth is full of maggots. Your mouth shows you're a sinner. McGee used to say, the bucket of the mouth always goes down into the well of the heart so that what comes out of your mouth, we knows what's in your heart. That's where Joel said, God will just see their heart. Jesus said, the heart is full of adultery, murder. Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked. We have no place to hide. There's no place to run. The only place that I know you can run and get any help is quit denying the disease, but run to the doctor. And it's Jesus Christ. And yet, as this age becomes more wicked and wicked, and we get more used to sin, I read some stats by a man uh, who went to MIT, and he did a study that anyone who lives in one of the major 50 cities of America, there's a 1 in 50 chance of being killed, and the study was done in the 80s. He says, more chances of being killed if you live in one of our major cities by a murderer than there was of being killed in World War II. The odds were better than 1 in 50. Murder, our streets are full of murder. Uh, the security business is booming because our houses are not safe. 
And in the midst of all of this newspaper headlines, people are saying, we're good folks. We wouldn't hurt a flea. Somebody is. Somebody is. When I think uh, where I grew up in Richmond, 6th and Cuddy, south of Carlson, where we started. Then we moved to 49th and Cuddy. Steeds, Petrero, down there at Farmer's Market, St. John Missionary Baptist. Dave and I played sandlot ball all the time in all the projects. Then we moved to 6th and Cuddy. Lived there. Sister went to Roosevelt. His kids grew up there where it seems every month I hear. I always read the paper to see where in Richmond they got killed to see what friends and what block I knew. It's getting worse and not better. And yet the starving culture says, I won't eat what you put on the table. I have no appetite. And I, my only hope is God can whet the appetite through the work of the Spirit like he did you and like he did me, and finally make Jesus appetizing to you. Finally make the thought of divine peace something you yearn for. Finally make the idea of being out of the storm in your soul. And finally, I found a resting place for my guilt. I finally have had my guilt transferred to another. I finally come to peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. And we've had to tell you for weeks about God's diagnosis. So when we begin looking at his cure, you won't make it a simple cure. The cure has to be much greater than the sin. And it is. For one Jesus could save 10 million worlds over. That's how powerful this one life was. He could save 10 billion earths over just with one death. That's how satisfied the Father was with Christ's death. Are you satisfied? Would you come to Jesus? What keeps you from lacking, not wanting him? You want to do another sin? You, you, want to, you want to go to sleep with her? You want to beat somebody up? You want to snort a little? You want to cheat a little bit? You, oh, you're, maybe you're an adult. You're, you're over sneaking around. You're on websites you shouldn't be, and it doesn't matter. I'd rather have this than that. And God says, I will judge you according to what you choose, and the choice will be on you. But when God works, as I hope he's working on you even now, some way or another, you start to find yourself loving what you used to hate. When Jim sang this song, I first heard that song when I was in the fourth grade in Berkeley, California, when my aunt and uncle came out here and they sang, when the Savior reached down for me. And as a fourth grade boy, I knew I was a wretch even then. But I didn't want him. I didn't want him. He finally drew me. I want him. I want him. You can have Christ if you want him. And if you perish, it will be not because you were such a bad sinner alone. It will be that you didn't want Jesus. Because the cure is for the biggest sinner in the place.
including me. That's what's so glorious about the gospel. I end with this story. I was looking up the life of H.O. Maurer. And H.O. Maurer, an amazing thing, taught at Urbana for years, the University of Illinois. Been there, been on that campus. And uh, when he was voted in to be the president of the American Psychological Association, he was not able to be installed as president because he had to be clinically put away for two years from clinical depression. Voted in as the president of the American Psychological Association, but please, I can't, don't install me yet because I've got two years, I've got to stay incarcerated in a room because I'm in depression. I may kill myself. While he was there, he met a chaplain that worked in that hospital, and that chaplain would meet with him. And he brought in Maurer's Presbyterian pastor. They met with him and met with him. And finally, one day, they broke through and they convinced Maurer, you know what your problem is? You have sin in your life you have never dealt with for 30 years, and it's brought you to this depression. They said, confess your sins and you will get well. Struck by their words, Maurer made a decision to act. When he next attended his home church, getting out of the hospital, First Presbyterian of Urbana, Illinois, he rose to his feet and confessed the sins he had long suppressed. This initial action was followed by two more events. First, Maurer validated his confessions by making restitution with everybody he'd sinned against. The second thing was he got well. Confess your sins. Don't deny them. Don't blame them. Don't run. Just confess. Some of you have been bitter for years. Some of you have been mad for years. You hate your mother. You hate your father. You may hate the man that left you with a child. Bitterness, unfaithfulness, all of the pains and hurts of life, but it's destroying you. Let me say this. Would you like to get clean? Just call it sin. And if you'll confess it as sin and stop blaming and running, God, too, can keep you from depression. He can begin the healing work, all at the expense of the cross, who's paid for you to be well. You just got to say, it's me, Lord. I sin. It's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother or my sister or my brother, Lord. It's me. I'm in need of Christ. And you can have eternal life if you want it. Do you want it? Do you want it? Here in the early chapters of the Book of Romans with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. Series entitled, Man's Need of Divine Righteousness. This is Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and we thank you for joining us this morning, spending time with us here in God's Word. As we conclude our time together today, we would remind you that copies of the program and the series today's message was taken from are available from us by simply calling and requesting them. 855 833 is our phone number. 
Again, feel free to reach us for a copy of the program. Simply mention the date or the series today's broadcast was taken from. And that series name is Man's Need of Divine Righteousness. Reach us at 855-833-9864 or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547 is the zip code. Now, we do have other resource materials available for you and your growth in Christ. They can be found at our website, valleybible.org. Also, service times and location for Valley Bible, all there on our website, again, valleybible.org. And when you stop by, drop us an email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Make sure you also tap into our Facebook page as well, and we'll keep you updated and posted on series and happenings here at Truth For Today. When you're at your Facebook page, simply search Truth For Today Radio, and you'll find us. Like us, and then let friends know as well. Again, Truth For Today Radio. As a TFT sustainer, someone who comes alongside and partners with us financially, you'll also have access to our quarterly newsletters, a once-a-year special gift, as well as Take a Break. It's our weekly video devotional with Pastor Phil. And again, that is for our TFT sustainers, those who partner with us financially. Find out more by simply calling 855-833-9864 or swing by our website, valleybible.org. We would love to hear from you. As always, it's a delight knowing that you're growing in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word here on Truth For Today. And it's a great way to get the day started, isn't it? Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Truth For Today.